Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we're reading verses 35 to 57. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as, was the, as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, we pray that as we come to your word now, you would help us to understand May you encourage our hearts and help us to rejoice in the hope of the resurrection. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you take your seats, you might want to turn back uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. And we'll be looking at verses 35 to uh, 57. I wonder whether you've ever had the experience of asking someone a question, and then when you ask the question, thinking to yourself, what a stupid thing that was to ask. 
Well, I've never had that experience, so let me tell you about somebody else that I've heard about. And now we all know looking at the sun is a dangerous thing to do. And so somebody asked this question, does looking at a picture of the sun hurt your eyes? I don't know, does, does that hurt your eyes, looking at that picture? Well, I think actually my favorite stupid question that somebody asked came on The Apprentice. For those of you who don't know the program, it's a competition to try and receive a job offer from Lord Sugar. And the people come and they compete in different business tasks. In one week, they had to choose some objects which they then had to take to France and sell to the French. And so as the groups are looking around, there was some children's objects that you could sell. And so one of the candidates asks the rest of the group, are the French very fond of their children? (laughs) Well, tonight we are going to look at two questions which people might ask about the resurrection. And as we do that, we need to be prepared to hear what the Apostle Paul says, how foolish Paul seems to think in some ways that these are stupid questions. You could say, actually, rather than seeing how foolish, he is seeing you fool. You see the two questions there in verse 35. How are the dead raised? With what kind of bodies will they come? And Paul says, how foolish. Foolish person to ask that. Now, I think the person that Paul is referring to here, the the foolish person to ask, is the person who asked the question, who is saying in verse 12, there is no resurrection of the dead. You see, they've made up their minds that there is no resurrection from the dead. And so they're asking in a sneering kind of tone, how are the dead raised? That's a silly thing to say, because the dead can't be raised. And in an equally mocking voice, they then say, but what kind of bodies will they come? You see, for these persons, the whole idea of the resurrection is just stupid. And yet Paul says that they are the ones who are the fools. Well, tonight we're going to run the risk of being called foolish. And I'm going to run the risk by saying, but actually the questions which Paul here poses from their lips are actually important questions for us. You see, the questions which we might ask... You see, you might have walked in tonight and think, look at all these graves which are around us. People have been buried for many, many years in the ground. How could it possibly be that they would come back to life? Now, how is it possible for bones which have been in the ground for hundreds of years come back to life and have flesh and breath in their lungs again? You might say, how is it possible for uh, people who've been, had bodies which have been blown up in terrorist acts or in war, how is it possible for them to be raised with again? And as I was preparing it this week, my uh, news feed was full of the news of people in Nepal. Thousands and thousands of dead bodies. How is it possible for people to be raised to life? Or we might have walked with loved ones as they have died. And we mourn for them. And as we've walked with them on that most painful path, we might say, how is it possible that they might be raised again? At such a painful time, we may also ask, what kind of body will they come with? 
If I die tonight at 37, will I be raised as a 37-year-old with a stiff back and a bad ankle? Or will I come back as a baby and then have to start again right from that, that point? Or will I come back in my prime? I wonder, what do you think your prime is? I wonder, are you looking forward to your prime? Uh, or are you looking back to it? Maybe you're looking a, a long way back uh, to that time. But, but what kind of bodies will be raised with? You see, the questions are quite important, actually, aren't they, for us? And they're important as we think about living this life now. Is it worth living as a Christian now? Or is this life all there is? Is telling people the gospel of the Lord Jesus worth it? Is it worth encouraging someone to live a Christian life now? For if it's not possible for them to be raised from the dead, then why do it? That's what Paul has said already. If the dead are not raised, then we are to be pitied more than all men. And if the, the dead are raised with these same old bodies, then is it worth it? See, Paul has already shown that we should see that the dead can be raised because Jesus has been raised. But what about the resurrection of everyone else? How is it possible? You see, if the dead are raised, then our hope is sure. And we can stand firm in the hope which we have in God and we can live for him now. See, if we are unsure and we want to give up and we might want to stop telling people, if it is sure that we are raised, then we will want to keep going in that. You see, there's so many ways in which these two questions are so important for us as we face our death, as we walk with those who have died, sorry, as we walk with those who have lost loved ones, and as we tell people about the future. Now, time will not allow us to look into all those kind of questions fully, but I hope that we will get to see what Paul is saying here. We'll look at many of the implications for this whole chapter next week as we look at verse 58. But what we will see from these verses is this. Paul will say that the dead are raised by the power of God. And they are raised with bodies which are entirely appropriate for the new creation. And so we should rejoice. And so let's take each of those things in turn. The dead are raised by the power of God, says Paul. Now that's the answer to the first question, how are the dead raised? You see, it seems impossible, doesn't it, that someone who's been in the ground for a year, let alone 10 years or 100 years, could possibly come to life again. And that's before we think of those who have died in explosions or died at sea or any of those things. How is it possible for someone who is dead and buried to be raised from the dead? Well, we start to see in verse 36, Paul begins the answer by looking out of his window at his allotment. He sees the beans that he's just planted outside and he says... When you sow a bean seed, the seed dies so that the plant might grow. In the same way, as we bury people in the ground, it's as if we are burying the dead seed so that the new plant might grow. You see that in verse 36. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. You see, the same is true for seeds as it is for dead bodies. We know that as you plant a seed in the ground, which is the seed which is dead, from it can come a new thing, a living thing. You can sow a bean seed and get a bean plant and then beans. They look different, but they are connected. 
you can sow cauliflower seed and you can get cauliflower. You can sow tomato seed and get tomato plants. You could go on, I imagine. You see, the seed is dead and yet new life comes from it, which is connected but different. And to build on that, Paul says, verse 37, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. You see, if you want to get a cauliflower from your garden, you don't go to the greengrocer and buy a cauliflower and put it in the ground. No, you put the bare seed in the ground and then you get the plant after. And the same is true for us, says Paul. Our dead bodies will be changed and we will have new bodies which will come, connected to the old ones but different. And the reason this can work, says Paul, is in verse 38. But God... But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. You see, how are the dead raised? God gives it a body as he has determined. Just as God in his creative power gave each seed to grow a particular plant as he determined. So a bean seed grows from a bean because God has determined it that way. And so God himself will give us a body as he determines from the seeds sown in death. How are the dead raised? The simple answer is God. The dead are raised by the power of God. Which incidentally I think is why Paul calls the questioner a fool. Now do you remember in the Bible who the fool is? If you read Psalm 14, you would read that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see, if you take God out of the equation, then it is impossible for the dead to be raised. But God gives life. As God gave life to Adam, he will give life to his people even when they are dead and buried. That's fundamental to what Paul says and to what underlies the rest of the argument. God gives life. And to think that we can have no resurrection of the dead is to be a fool because it doesn't consider God. And so we keep that in mind as we go on. The dead are raised by the power of God. But secondly, the dead are raised with bodies which are entirely appropriate for the new creation. The dead are raised with bodies which are entirely appropriate for the new creation. And that answers the question, what kind of body will the dead have? Now see how Paul answers the question. He does that by reflecting on Genesis 1 and 2 where God creates the world. You see it in verses 39 to 41. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. You see, Paul has just spoken of the earthly bodies and now he goes on to speak of the heavenly bodies. And when he says heavenly, he means things up in the sky. So you see that in verse 41. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. What we see Paul doing here is working backwards through what God created in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we see God making the world. He creates it from nothing. He creates space and then he fills it. 
And so working backwards from day six to four, he says, on day six, God created mankind. And before that, he created animals. On day five, he created birds. And before that, fish. On day four, he created heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon and the stars. Now you might say, well, that's all very interesting, but what's the point? Well, follow the logic with me. God in creation made different kinds of things. So he made animals and birds. He made the moons and the stars, etc. And when he made those different things, he gave each one a different kind of body. Now that's quite evident, I think, self-evident. I don't have the body of a panther or a bear. Maybe more like one than the other. Um, And here the key thing, the key thing about all of that is this. The body that God gave each creature was appropriate for the place where it was to live. And think about it a moment. Uh, have you ever been fishing? Uh, when I was in Australia, I used to go fishing with a guy. I used to take us out in his boat, and we caught all kinds of different fish from the sea. There were uh, red, knobbly ones with spikes. Um, there were ones which were yellow and sleek, and there were uh, loads of other ones with different colors and shapes. And yet, this, I even saw in this place where we went, actually, a huge shark jump once, which was quite scary. But you see, God made all of those different fish entirely with bodies which were entirely appropriate for the the place where they are to dwell. Fish are entirely suited to live in the sea. You can say the same thing about a polar bear or in the Arctic or snakes in the desert or monkeys in the jungle or eagles in the sky and even for the sun and the moon. They're entirely appropriate for where they were meant to be. And so Paul says, verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. That is, God will give us bodies appropriate to where we will live. Verse 42 again, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. You see, Paul is making a contrast between the body that is sown, that is, our bodies here and now, and the body which will be raised. You see, he says our present bodies, the bodies that we have now, the bodies which we put in the ground, are not appropriate for the new creation, but they will be raised appropriate. You see how Paul describes our present bodies. They are, verse 42, perishable. They are, verse 43, dishonorable and weak. They are natural, verse 44. You see, just think about your bodies now. Now, I want to be careful here. Um, But we all have bodies which sag and which bag, which wrinkle, which grey, which bald, for some more than others. But it happens to all our bodies, doesn't it? And for for the youth and the students, uh, you've got it all to look forward to, but it will come. For those of you who are a bit older, then you know all too well that that's what happens. You might try and deny it, but we do have bodies like that, don't we? They are perishing. Now, my grandpa um, did try to deny that once. He, used to, he owned a toy shop, and in the toy shop, apparently, he used to demonstrate how different toys worked. Um, and one of the things he used to demonstrate was a pogo stick. Um, and so when he was um, 80, he thought he'd have a, a go and see whether he could still use the pogo stick. He couldn't use the pogo stick when he was 80. <laughs> but you see, if we keep these bodies into the new creation, then they will be out of place. They're not appropriate for that. We might get there and feel that we are dressed wrongly, that we're out of place. 
And more than these bodies being out of place, we will be like fish out of water. He wouldn't be there for very long. Now you think of the shark that I saw jumping when I was in Australia. A shark is scary in the water, but get out of the water and it dies very quickly. And Paul is saying, if we keep these bodies into the new creation, then we will be, we'll be like fish out of water. Which is why it's such good news we read here. God is going to change us to have a body which is entirely appropriate for the new creation. And do you see what he says there? We'll have a body which is raised imperishable, which is raised in glory, which is raised in power, which is raised a spiritual body, a body which is entirely appropriate and suited for the new creation God makes. We'll have a body fit for the new creation in which we will dwell. It won't sag and bag, it won't wrinkle and bald and grey. It won't become less and less able to do the things which we want to do with it. We won't have a glory which fades over time because our bodies fail us. No, we will have bodies fit for the new creation. And Paul describes it as a spiritual body. Now we need to be very careful here because it's often thought that the distinction Paul makes here is between something physical and something which is not physical. As if Paul is thinking that we will all float round on the clouds wearing an ethereal negligee, as Paul Williams described it to me this week. Now, I certainly don't want to be floating around on the clouds in an ethereal negligee. And I take it you don't want me to be either. But you see, that's not the point Paul's making here. See the distinction he makes in verse 45? Verse 44, sorry. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. You see, he goes on to explain in verse 45. If there is a natural body, there's a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. You see, Paul's making a comparison between those who come after the Adam of Genesis 1 and the last Adam, Jesus. See, Paul goes on, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. That is, as we follow after Adam, we are those who are perishable, dishonorable, powerless, and weak. But back in verse 48, we read, and as is the man from heaven so also are those who are from heaven. You see, that is, we will follow after Jesus. That is, we will have bodies which are imperishable, honorable, powerful, spiritual. You see verse 49? And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. We will bear the likeness of Jesus the one who has a spiritual body now. That's the kind of body that we will have in the future. So think about Jesus. Do you think about him at the end of John's gospel and when he appeared to numerous people? You see, he meets Mary in the garden. At first, Mary thinks he's a gardener. She doesn't think he's a ghost or someone wearing an ethereal negligee. And when Jesus says Mary, she recognizes who he is That's the kind of body we will have. He was different, physical, yet recognizable. 
He could come and stand among his disciples and they recognized him and saw him. He could come and stand before Thomas and say to Thomas, it touched my hands, touched my side. He came to the disciples when they were fishing. At first they didn't recognize him, but they did eventually and they ran to him and they ate with him on the beach. Jesus had that physical body. He has the body that we will have as we follow after his likeness. You see, when we come in the new creation, we will have bodies which are entirely appropriate. The dead will be raised with bodies entirely appropriate for that new creation. And it will be like Jesus' body, perfectly suited for that new time. And so Paul summarizes in verse 50, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That is, the bodies we have now cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable, this what I've got here, inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery, he says. We will not all sleep. That is, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. You see, we will all be changed. We will all have that new body which is appropriate for the new creation that God is making. And when that happens, we will be able to see with Paul, verse 54, when the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, when we get to that day when the dead are raised, when those in Christ are raised and when we are all changed, death will look a right royal fool. Death who's been sowing seeds for years in the ground and thinking he's won the victory. Well, they'll all rise with new bodies. And we will say, death, where's your sting? Death, where's your victory? You see, the dead will be raised by the power of God with bodies entirely appropriate for that new creation. And so we should rejoice now. We rejoice because death will be seen as defeated and impotent, a fool. You see, and Paul goes on in verse 56 to say something which, when you think about it, it seems the wrong way around. You see what he says there? The sting of death is sin. See, we all say, where of death is your sting? And Paul says, the sting of death is sin. You'd expect it to be the other way around, wouldn't you? For him to say the sting of sin is death, because sin leads to death. And yet Paul says here, the sting of death is sin. You see, this is the point that Paul's making. Death is not the end for anyone. All will rise... And yet if our sin has not been atoned for, then we will rise, be raised with bodies which are corrupted by that sin still. You see, it says elsewhere that it is given for man once to die and then to face the judgment. And if we are raised with bodies still corrupted by that sin, then the sting of death is the sin which still lives within us. You see, when people say there's a fate worse worse than death, then there really is. It is being in the resurrection day with bodies which are still corrupted by the sin which makes us perishable now. 
You see, we can be tempted to think that death is the end and so feel relief when someone has been released from their trial now. And yet if that person is not in Christ, if their sin has not been atoned for, then death is not the end. But Paul goes on, verse 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, we should rejoice because we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We declared those words together from the beginning of the chapter, didn't we? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ has paid for our sins so that we might be raised with those bodies which have no sin. That we might be raised imperishable. So thanks be to God. That we have our sins atoned for and so that when we are raised in the new creation we have bodies which are perfect, imperishable, immortal, ready to live in the new creation that God has made. And so we rejoice. And we will see next week that it also empowers us to live the Christian life now having that hope. But tonight, let us leave rejoicing that that future that we have, that the future for those who have died in Christ have, is real and certain and true. Let us declare with Paul, thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.